0: This is exactly right. Being where you are is comfortable. Change is always hard, even when it's like a good change. Um, that changes what changes inevitable. Growth is optional. Excellent expression because it's completely true. So I think I think it's uncomfortable for people to, including myself, to make any changes.
1: Welcome to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. I am Dr. Dan. This show is about making the world a more loving, accepting, and compassionate place, one parent, one person, and one child at a time. The key to raising healthy and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same in our own lives and strive to be the best versions of ourselves each day. No matter who you are or where you came from, with increased awareness, you can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for your children your family, and those you care about while living your own life to the fullest. Today's show is called Super You, Release Your Inner Superhero. And I am so happy to introduce our guest, Emily Gordon. Emily is a former therapist turned writer, producer, and podcast host who is known as the co-creator of the stand-up comedy television show The Meltdown with Jonah and Kumail and as the co-writer of the semi-autobiographical romantic comedy film, The Big Sick, which is awesome. She, since she left her job as a therapist, she worked as a freelance writer. She has worked as a freelance writer with a number of prestigious publications like The Bust, AOL, The Daily Beast, The Atlantic, GQ, Mashable, The New York Times. She's also written for The Carmichael Show on NBC and, of course, is the author of the great book, Super You: Release Your Inner Superhero. Emily, welcome to the show.
0: What a lovely introduction. Thank you so much.
1: (laughs) So um, I just love your path. First of all, um, I really enjoyed reading your book. So I I feel I get to, I know some about you because of your courageous and just open, um, you just talking about yourself in a way that empowers others. And so I just want to acknowledge that because that's so important. And um, tell us how, you know, how you became, The road to therapist, and then we'll, we'll talk about your road then to writer.
0: Uh, how, let's see, what is my road to becoming a therapist? I think I always, uh, candidly, there's a lot of mental illness in my family. And so I grew up kind of, um, being very needing to be very aware of people's emotional states and also kind of reveling in that of, of like feeling like I, I kind of from a young age felt like I kind of could understand people, not what they were saying, but what's behind what -hmm. they were saying. Mm -hmm. Um, Which has always served me well, has uh, often been a problem when I meet strangers in a bathroom and they tell me their life stories. Um, And so I got really interested in mental health in college uh, and took a lot of psychology courses and realized that this kind of felt like something I wanted to do with my life. I liked the idea of kind of being having an individual impact on people. I love, I find people endlessly interesting. Um, so it was a pretty natural progression for me to become a therapist, um, and, and go straight through school and just go straight into, uh, working as a therapist after I graduated from, from, uh, getting a master's degree.
1: And then somewhere along the way, you're like, um, I don't know. <laughs> i'm I'm curious about as a therapist uh as part of you know one of my hats, I'm just curious about that experience.
0: well, you know it's interesting I, I think um I always was a creative writer as well i i um I really liked writing essays. I was like submitting essays to women's magazines as I was still working as a therapist, so it was clearly something that was like in perk like kind of in my system um I was published in the newspaper in third grade for an essay I wrote nice uh, very important. Uh, and so I think that was a big, I, it was a way I found of expressing myself, but I come from a very practical Southern family and writing was not, that's not a career, uh, that you can take. Like that's not something you could do for a living. So I kind of always thought of it as a hobby. Mm-hmm. And then quite honestly, uh, I worked in the field for about seven years. I worked with pretty complicated kind of complex, uh, taxing populations And um, if you've seen The Big Sick, you also know that I had a period of being hospitalized uh, in my late 20s. And the combination of um, just having a tough, tough populations working with and coming back from being hospitalized, I was just very burnt out. I was uh, I got very burnt out from seeing clients. I realized I could kind of see in myself, oh, I'm not as I'm not as effective as I am with clients as I should be with clients because I'm kind of focused on myself which I should have been at that moment. Right, right. Um, and that was kind of what led me to start thinking, can I step away from this? Which as you know, you go through all the schooling, you do all this licensure stuff, you do yeah, so yeah. much work uh, yeah. to try to get there. And uh, I loved what I was doing so, so much. I could feel within myself that I was getting burnt out. Mm-hmm. And I thought, is there some way that I can do something else um, that also feels fulfilling? And perhaps I... I, I think I thought when I step away, I'll come back when I'm feeling um, like I can focus on my clients solely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know what it means that I never went back. I guess I'm still yeah. focusing on me.
1: <laughs> you're, you're, you're helping people in other ways, right? I There's, would like to think yeah. that. I yeah. would like to
0: think that, yes. But, uh, you know, that's it's one thing to say that. It's another thing when you go from, like, actually sitting down with a person and watching their progress versus being like, mm-hmm. theoretically, I think I'm helping people with my work. <laughs> uh, it's a different thing. Yes.
1: Well, and for listeners who have not seen The Big Sick, first of all, you need to, but (laughs) this is important. As Emily just um, very humbly said, no, you know, I was hospitalized for a short period of time. So Emily was in a coma for, was it eight days?
0: Uh, It depends on, 12 12 is what I say. Uh, Okay uh eight is what my husband who says that i was technically moving my eyes and trying to speak this is this is a dark topic but uh in my head 12 days in his head eight okay so yeah
1: (laughs) so this is not just a hospitalization this is what i mean people who quote wake up literally 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 emotionally psychologically or spiritually have say like i've got a this is a wake-up call i gotta really you know i want to really think about how i live my life and what i do and so I have to imagine all of that went into what you had just talked about that process.
0: Very much so. But I also think what's so funny is that I can say all that looking back at it, that I was like, I have to change my life. It's time. But I think at the time, at the time I was trying really hard to project this idea that, Oh, I'm, I'm, I didn't change. Everything's fine. Everything like so much of my life um, was thrown into an upheaval and so much of my life changed so quickly That the only way I knew to cope was to insist that nothing had changed. Ah, I was like, "I'm still the same. Nothing's." I even wrote an essay in a women's magazine about how I was in a coma and I didn't change at all. Um, But the truth is, within I'd say within three months of getting out of the hospital, I had gotten married, moved to New York City, and changed careers. (laughs) So obviously, not much (laughs) changed.
1: Not much (laughs) changed at all. Right. Uh-huh. Um,
0: it, it absolutely did. I realized only in hindsight that I, I stopped, uh, I became more fearless as a result of, of being, uh, getting sick. Mm-hmm. And I also got way clearer about the idea that I wanted to live, as you were saying, I wanted to live with more intention that even mm-hmm. if I was doing something, I wanted to not, I wanted to be in charge of the boat mm-hmm. and not just kind of, Oh, I'll just do this. Cause it's here. And not, I don't have any choices, but to kind of take a little bit more charge of what my life was.
1: And, and you, you have, and you did. And, um, did it also change your, I, I don't know, ability, c- courage about being so transparent with your life, not only in the movie, but, um, in your book, you know, like it, you put it all out there. Um, it, would you have done that before?
0: That's a good question. I, I don't know. Um, it probably did make me more brave. I think I do. And it's something that you can kind of intellectually learn, but it's hard to have it in your bones. But like when you kind of have a brush with death, you do have this sense of like, what are you going to do to me? What could you possibly what I have nothing to be afraid of? Mm -hmm. Um, There's nothing that you can do to me that will compete with that. So I'll just do what I would like to do. Um, I've tried to be pretty I do have boundaries that are very specific for me and very important to me that like oh people don't get to have this much information about me they I, I'm gonna keep this for myself I'm gonna keep this part of my relationship to myself, but for the most part, I do feel like um I feel like I've only grown from hearing other people's stories I've only gotten I've only felt less alone and I think I figured out um when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life after getting sick, I just want people to feel less alone that's hmm. my in whatever capacity I can do that, that's kind of my my mantra. And so to me, that if, if that means me sharing part of what I've been through and being like, what's it been like for you? Great. Um and I won't say there's also a selfish bit of like uh it's fun, t- it's it's good to unburden yourself. It feels good to yeah. kind of uh unburden yourself of things. Uh yeah, it feels good to unburden yeah. yourself. That's yeah. I'll leave it at that.
1: <laughs> yeah. So did the book how did the book come to be? Um, I know that you know you you worked with um uh a younger population as well, a younger clinical population, and and realizing that a lot of our like psychobabble techniques that we that we learn and you know, like it, it doesn't always land so well uh with a <laughs> lot of people, particularly uh teenagers and such.
0: I was um I was a really rebellious kid. I was a bad kid. I was a bad teenager. I was uh, in trouble a lot. I, I got that classic, like she has potential, but she's wasting it. Like I got all that. I, and that ended up being the population I worked with for the most part as a therapist, which I thought my mom thought was hilarious, <laughs> uh, that I was like putting myself in the place and I, and they were really challenging to work with, but also really wonderful. And they're so raw. All your emotions are so raw when you're that age, all of your like all, you're kind of putting together all your building blocks of how to be a person. And I think when I was, I had wanted to write a book and I thought, is there anything that I could have read as a 16 year old who hated herself mm. and hated the world? Is there anything I could have read that would have made me feel less alone uh, in hating myself? And that's the book I wanted to write. I wanted to write the book that I would have I, I, I hope I, I personally would have benefited from reading Mm -hmm. as a 16 year old. Mm -hmm. And I, so I took some of my stuff from being a therapist. I took, I took some of the stuff from working with teenagers who were quite troubled. And then I took some of the stuff from being a troubled teenager and tried to put that together, um, in a format. There were many different formats that the book took, and this was the one that the most people were interested in. I, I'll say this, I wanted to write a video, a video game strategy guide for life. That's what I wanted to do
1: nice
0: Um, but every nobody wanted that
1: (laughs) the the powers that be did not want that oh Uh,
0: absolutely the powers that be were not interested they were like what is the strategy guide I love I played a lot of video games as a kid I loved in the 90s you would get those really thick kind of strategy guides for like in this dungeon you do this and this is a great technique for this and I was like what a fun concept that would be for a self-help book and uh, absolutely not
1: (laughs) did you play dungeons and dragons
0: I have only played, I've played some role-playing games as a kid. I've played D&D only as an adult. Um, So I'm definitely more of a role-playing video game Mm -hmm. kid than a role-playing game kid. Um, Too lazy, I guess.
1: (laughs) I think a video guy, okay, so that might be a future one. You just put that out there again because, you know. Now
0: maybe somebody would take it.
1: (laughs) Super U does what you want to do, right? Like that's what Super U does. Um, Super U doesn't listen to all of those critics out there. So. um, True. So anyways that's really cool and of course it, it you can tell about your video game uh, background and your strategy is is in the book. I so what I really appreciated about it um being a consumer of this sort of stuff and uh, also having little patience for stuff that sounds too heady and too not accessible is that you really did combine your therapeutic background and uh like i wanted to say almost like theory of change like how people change and what you actually do about it with your creative writing like it's it's right there oh, beautifully thank you melded um and accessible so start let everyone like what what is super you what is what is that su- inner uh, that inner superhero how would you describe what that is
0: i think and i still kind of reference her at times i think um I think rather than looking to other people to see who do I want to be, who how do I want to how do I want to improve myself that the the best version of you is already there within your grasp. Uh imagine what that person is doing. If you could think of like the perfect the best version of you, what they're doing on a day-to-day basis. That's her. That's all that's That's all you kind of need to aim towards is, is, uh, and it's always important to me that it's like, we're accepting ourselves where we are at all points in times. We're, we're do nothing but have love for ourselves where we are, but that doesn't mean that we can't aim for more aim for, um, I always, that's, that was my favorite question to ask as a therapist. Like when, when you're done with therapy, I would say to clients, when you're better quote unquote, whatever that means, how will, how will the outside know world know mm-hmm. that you're better. What will they see you doing? Um and people inevitably are always like, well, you know, that person will be taking walks around the block twice a day. That person will be cooking dinner. And I think people think that change is this thing that has to like you get this divine inspiration from on high. And then you're like, now I change my life. When often it's just doing the things that you know that you believe a healthy person would do, doing those actions and seeing how that feels. Right. Um, I, I'm very much, I again, I like I said, I come from a very practical family and I really want to, as much as I can, demystify the idea of what being healthy means, what kind of having, it, it's not magical. None of this stuff is magic. It can feel like magic and that's great, but it doesn't, it's not a magical thing that you need to kind of wait for. It's just little tiny actions that you're doing along the way. Um, and that's what I try to keep in mind for myself. My own version of my super you is always like, within reach and just it's there. And if I don't, Mm -hmm. I choose not to do those actions today. That's me choosing to not do those actions because I'm tired and I maybe Mm -hmm. have a headache. Um, but that it's always within reach and it's not this impossible magical goal that is so far away. You could never even get to it. So why try?
1: And, and you, you said acceptance, right? It's kind of like who you are and, um, those of us who went to school for this know of uh, Carl Rogers, who's thought of as the uh, father of humanistic uh, therapy and see like the grandfather. He was this warm, grandfatherly type. And he was all about, well, one of the many things he was all about is, is acceptance. And that change comes through actual acceptance of who you are, not trying to change who you are. And that seems yeah. like a paradox, right?
0: Right. It, and it does. And I feel like kids would often would want to come in and be like, that means I hate myself. And by the way, I was that way. When I was a teenager, I thought that doing anything that was emotionally healthy was me accepting the idea that I was a bad kid. So I was like, I refuse. I refuse on principle, which is so sad and and backwards. And it meant that I was keeping myself unhealthy to show other people that I didn't care, Mm -hmm. which is just absolutely the most backwards. So it's a paradox, but it's also, I think the opposite is a paradox as well. Um, and it's just like, wouldn't you rather just take it a little bit easy on yourself? Like, mm-hmm, if the mm-hmm. world is hard on you, you don't need to also be hard on you.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. But there's all of these obstacles, right? Like, what are, uh, what have you found are the, all the obstacles for being your super authentic self?
0: <sighs> I think one, I think we think, that everything in our lives will be automatically better once we lose 15 pounds. Once we like start talking to our parents again, whatever the thing is that this idea of, Oh, everything will be perfect. Once I get this, once I do this thing. And so then it becomes so loaded and you're so frightened that, Oh God, what if I, what if I do lose these 15 pounds and I still am not happy, then what happens? And it's enough to kind of, get you into the spiral of, um, oh, I guess I won't do anything doing nothing. It's also comfortable being where you are is comfortable. Change is always hard, even when it's like a good change, Mm -hmm. um, that changes what changes inevitable growth is optional.
1: Right. Right.
0: Excellent expression because it's completely true. So I think, I think it's uncomfortable for people to including myself to, to go through any, to make any changes, um, and it's a daily practice. That's the other part. I think also people think when they go to therapy whatever it is, I'll fix this and then I'll be done. And the first time that they have like a another like negative self-thought thing, they're like, "Oh, I thought I fixed myself. I guess I'm broken still." No, that's not no. how it works.
1: No. We're <laughs> still human. Be, you're still we're human. We're still human. Yeah. And
0: it's supposed to be a daily practice. It's you're never going to be done with any of this stuff. I was just saying that to my therapist this past week. I was like, I, you know, you kind of think, oh, I've come so far. And then you have like a a setback and you're like, am I all the way back here? And she's like, no, you never, you never moved backwards or forwards. You've always been right where you were, which is where you're supposed to be. And I think, um, I think those being frightened of actual change and being uncomfortable with actual change and then, um, are kind of the biggest obstacles that I see both in myself and in other people.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and identity, you talk a lot about identity and and knowing your identity and, and your and, and what what that knowing that and how that can impact you by understanding identity. So tell tell us what what is the premise beside what is an identity and then what do we do about it?
0: It's interesting. And I'm I'm talking about self-identity uh here. I talk about it in the book. And for me growing up, I always needed a label for myself to like of how I like how I wanted myself to be presented to the world. So I can't even remember the ones from the book, but I, I went through a period of being like the clever kid. I was like the precocious kid. I was a goth kid in high school. That yep. was a big part of my identity was like, I'm yep. this angry goth kid. Everybody be scared of me. Yeah. Um, and then I became a therapist. And then that became my identity was like, I am a therapist. That is who I am through and through. When you meet me at a party, I've got this fun little like label. I can shake your hand and be like, I'm a therapist and then it's difficult and i find especially now when it's really easy to not feel like you're part of a community to just i think that's why we have stand culture quote unquote where people um you know their entire identity is based around being a fan of of a pop culture uh something um that's not an identity that that you can you can make it one but a that that pop culture, whatever, is not stable enough to be a person's identity. Nothing is. Neither is being a goth kid, by the way. Neither is being a therapist. Mm
1: -hmm. And I
0: think it's just easier for us to put these kind of labels uh, on ourselves. And I think the older I get, the more I realize that label is something. And it's useful at times if you're at a party and you just want to be like, yeah, I'm a writer. Hello, how are you? Um, But that's not who you are. And it can never be... It's never who you are. They always talk about the stages of, uh, of um, coming out. Uh, mm-hmm. That I love that the pride is number five, I think. There's like all kinds of different uh, levels. Number five or six is pride. And then the next uh, level beyond that is synthesis. Mm. Is this idea of like, oh, it's part of who I am. Like my being a fan of this band is part of who I am. It's not my only trait that I have. Uh, my being a therapist is part of who I am. It's not the only trait I have. Because ultimately, we're looking for community, but our identities are so singular to just us. Like, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and
0: so you can, you end up being a part of many communities, but you are your own community. Um, and I have been, especially this past year, working on strengthening my own personal community of myself. Mm.
1: Nice, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Would you care to share some of the things that you have le- are learning about yourself, which does strengthen your inner sense of community? I
0: think I I'm very um, I'm very oriented to other people, and so I'm always kind of I'm a very self-in relation person. So I, all everything has always been about I'm I love being a, my husband's wife. I love being my parents' kid. I love being my sister's sister. I love being my friend's friend. I love I love being uh, I, I used to book a stand-up show. I love being the booker of that show. Um, but that who am I separate from all of those people? Mm-hmm. And, and understanding that some of the validation and some of the love that I wanted to get from the people around me, which I'm love and I'll take all of it. I need to be giving to myself more than I need to be expect, expecting it, uh, from other people. Not that they're not giving it just nice to have that like, uh, stored up. So I think I've been really working on self-compassion. Um, Mm -hmm. I've been working on a dialogue with myself that is kinder that, my husband and I were just talking about this. Some of the ways that I talk to myself, I would punch someone if they spoke to me that way. Yeah. I would punch someone yep. if they spoke to a stranger that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think often we think, oh, if it's coming from inside of our heads, that means it's re- it's gospel, it's the truth. Right. That's not true.
1: Nope, it's not true. <laughs> it's not true. I Just love because the, the call is yeah.
0: coming from inside the house does, right. not, it it does not
1: mean it's true. <laughs> and I, I love that idea that, um, just because we think something, it doesn't mean it's true. And that we have the ability, and this is where you you talk about, um, oh, it was why you, your book and a, a lot of what we talk about on the show here is so aligned is this um, awareness and intention. And so like having this self-awareness of here's what I tell myself and what I tell myself, whether I realize where it came from or not, which we don't always have to figure that thing out. That's is, right. Like, it's not, it's not true i can i don't have to listen to it i mean from even from a mindfulness based uh approach i can just let it pass i yeah. can just notice it and let it go
0: yeah yeah and i think that thing of like whatever i think people automatically assume whatever their worst thoughts or behaviors are is who they really are mm-hmm. that's such a conversation right. i've had with so many friends of like well if they knew the real me and i'd be yep. like I know the real you, you're not a bad person. Right. Oh, you have bad thoughts every once in a while. Welcome to the club, buddy. Like exactly. everybody's got bad thoughts. Sometimes everybody's got, but that, I don't know why we decide that the worst version of ourselves is our true self.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, that's, that's a little bonkers. And, and I've been trying to work on that myself as well.
1: <laughs> nice. Nice. So with awareness and intention, there's all these tools, there's all these strategies and you, um, and you know, your book, which really was, as you said, um, you know, what would I want when I'm 16? And, and it's very much written in a, in a, in a language that's very, um, like I want to say like ac- accessible, to, not turning off. It's very approachable. Not like I'm an adult talking to you. I know you wrote that <laughs> way on purpose, but I, what I'm trying to get to is that it's, it's for everyone. I mean, I read your book. I learned I learned from your book. I I learned I learned different perspectives of what I've learned in my work from your so I wanna say like there's there's larger concepts that you threw out there about hey, there's tools, there's things that we can do to be this super version of ourself, which is already in there.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for saying that. That's very kind of you. I haven't actually talked about this book in a little bit, and it's been it's been really lovely to like <laughs> uh, get back into it. And I think I work with mainly teenage boys, uh, and the boys I work with, when you would come at them with like, a, "I've got some self care skills," they'd be like, "Please go away. Like, I do not want to speak to you." And I think I kind of developed uh, over time a language to talk to them in ways that like they wouldn't automatically turn their brains off to, because mm-hmm. honestly I would have as well. Even now when I hear things about like, just take a bath at self-care, I kind of want to throw up a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that those things, I don't want to reject it whole cloth because self-care is incredibly important. Um, just because I find some of the wording of it a little corny and saccharine on occasion, that doesn't mean that the whole thing is bad. Um, so it is something I am intentional about uh, for myself and for other people. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so- to bring out this inner, this, this inner hero, this inner hero. And again, going back to what we've talked about is this self acceptance. Like it's already in there. Like you already have this, you're not trying to go get it. Um, you have that Cape, right. To use that analogy, like you already have that is, is what would you say are like three nuggets to cultivate that strength from within?
0: (laughs) um, Let's think.
1: And I just picked I three. You could pick one. I just I made can up do, three. I can do right now. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um,
0: I think it's I think it's really important to kind of stop the tape of the negative stuff talk. I think that's the number one thing. Of just I named mine, and I think this is the thing that RuPaul talks about on on RuPaul's Drag Race as well. Like name, naming your inner saboteur, mm. so that you can start to externalize that that. So you can just realize like, oh, okay, that's not necessarily me. And thank you so much. I appreciate you telling me I'm awful. I'm going to keep moving. Um, but just as simple as naming that. Uh, and I, I think Rhonda, I think, is the name I gave mine at one point in time. These days I don't call her by name too mm-hmm. much. Rhonda was just an awful girl in my high school. Um, I think that's quite helpful. It, it's been quite helpful to me. And I think also kind of just kind of checking in with yourself. I think is something I think the pandemic has helped for people do that a bit because it's gotten to a point where we didn't have other distractions for a full year and we kind of had to start looking at ourselves mm-hmm. and sitting with ourselves and I think for those of us who have, are quite busy and keep ourselves quite busy, it's really easy to just be on autopilot uh for quite some time and to not check in with am i am I happy with where I am right now? am I feeling satisfied with things? Um, I think that's true of teenagers in some regard, but I do think it's mainly more true for adults. I have I've been on autopilot for quite some time, and I think autopilot's not a bad thing to be on if you're in a, a stressful time and you kind of just need to get through the next couple weeks, next week, whatever it is. But I think a lot of us are stuck in autopilot. Mm-hmm. And um and it's it's really quite sad because the every day has got little little wonderful pleasures in it. And if we are rushing around and kind of not focusing on where we are in each moment, we, we miss all of that. Um, Mm -hmm. and then you kind of look up and you're like, where did the last couple of years go? And Oh shit, I think I'm miserable in this marriage and Oh shit. Like you kind of, it like all sorts like piling up if you're not checking in with how am I feeling today? How am I satisfied with where I am? Um, and facing whatever that is, if the answer is yes or no. Um,
1: well, that can yeah. be scary, right? I mean, that, so that can scary. be scary. And I think that is a lot of but pandemic aside. Of course, the pandemic has layered a whole bunch of stuff on us. Um, but pa- even pandemic aside is you go, we go through the motions of life and we do our roles with well, all these different roles that we have and all these different tasks that we have. And to actually stop and take inventory can be a little freaky when it's like, oh God, I don't like my job or gosh, I'm not pursuing what I've always loved, like being a writer or cooking or whatever it is. And we want to push that back, right? So it's like, it's really taking the time to listen to ourselves. And, and I, what I think of it as is like our inner voices are that inner wisdom, it's like that mm-hmm. inner wisdom of ourselves saying, hey, 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 this is, hey, you, it's me. Like, this is this is what I want. And, and can we sit with there in a way to live with what you talk about again is like intention. Like, so to live with intention is living in a way that's purposeful. But how do we know what's purposeful and how do we know how we want to live intentionally unless we figure out what it is we really want and how we want to be?
0: I think all of that is absolutely true. And there are a couple of things you said that I loved one. I think I also bump against the notion that every aspect of your life has to be happy and fulfilling and wonderful. Mm-hmm. I think if you, as my, my, I have a father who is infinitely wise and he was like, I was like, did you love your job? And he was like, no, I didn't. love He was like, why? That's such a new concept where you guys are supposed to love your jobs and get passionate, <laughs> like be passionate. <laughs> yeah. He was like, my passion was being home with you, with you guys and Mm. playing basketball. And so work was something I was willing. It's like, I felt confident at work, but I wasn't there because i it fulfilled every aspect of my being. But part of my life, I just think you should have like, if one part of your life is maybe not exactly where you want it to be, do you have uh, spaces in your life where you can collect joy and confidence? Because I recognize I have an amazing job, and I recognize that not everybody like you don't not everybody gets to have a job that is like fulfilling like passionately fulfilling, and you get to work your own hours. I've had crappy jobs too. You just kind of want to make sure that the other parts of your life are making up for the part that you have to do um I think is important, and I also think um that's what I would ask I ask friends and i ask I would ask clients this like where are the moments in your day where you're happiest? What like when on a given day, what do you look forward to? What is it that you are, when you like have a few minutes to yourself, what do you like to do? And just kind of being aware of those things. So like, rather than even focusing on like, what parts of your life do you hate? What are the parts of your life that bring you joy? Um, And how can we How can we do more of those? Or how can you kind of be in the moment more for those? If that's playing video games by yourself, if that's like eating breakfast in the morning, whatever it is, um, let's focus on those more than we are focusing on the job that you don't like. Because Mm -hmm. all of us need to make money. Not all of us are going to have jobs that we love.
1: Mm -hmm. I had a colleague who uh, gave a keynote uh, talk at a conference I was at years ago. And she uh, was basically talking against this whole passion uh, stress that is put on everyone, particularly kids about you need to find your passion. And she said, you know, she had a phrase for it, which I can't remember, but she said, you know, she didn't find her passion till she was like something she really loved doing as a career until she was 45. And she said, if she grew up with the same messages that many kids are growing up now with that, you need to find what you love and your passion. She's like, Mm -hmm. I would have been just been like, I'm, I'm doomed. Like, I'm just not going to make it. And so same point is that your dad said, like, same point is like, there's so many parts of our life. And um, we need to think about all of this and not try to put it into one pipe that it's like, I need to be happy. I need to be successful. It's like there's these like, I need, it's like these black and white thoughts that we get from, I think, outside and from within that really limit us and can cause quite a lot of uh, internal uncomfortableness to distress.
0: Yeah. I think I, I like to advocate for competence at work. I want people to feel like they're doing a good job. Like whatever you're doing, you're doing a good job. I think competence with work is more important than like passion and joy. And I, outside of the job that I have now, the, my favorite job I've ever had was when I worked at a women's center, like a women's community center. And I was just like the fill in grunt I spent all my days rearranging brochures and like unjamming the copy machine. (laughs) And I, I felt, I was like, every day I was like, I went to work and I was like, no one else can do what I do here. What (laughs) I do is so important because they could not unjam that copy machine. Mm -hmm. And I didn't get paid hardly anything. It was not a good job. I worked terrible hours, but I had, and that was also true. My therapy jobs, I felt quite good, but I think some people would call that a dream passion job too. I've had jobs that feel terrible, but a job where I feel like what I'm doing matters is Mm -hmm. kind of uh, the most important thing to me. I can kind of figure the rest of the stuff
1: out. Mm -hmm. And I, and I think something really important with your message is like, what's important to you? Because that's, again, you're going back to your own internal voice, that internal, that internal guy, that internal community, which is, um, it matters what I like, not what, People tell me i should like not what the social expectations are that says what's a good job what's a great job it's it's like what what makes me tick and what are all the various aspects of my life that i can get what i need what i want where i love being where i'm okay being like it's all of it it's kind of like what it, the full catastrophe right like it's just sort of like how do we live with this human condition and uh do our best at it yeah. Do you, yeah it's i think it's kind of feeling
0: a sense of like and i that's a question i ask i would ask clients a lot too is where do you feel competent in your life where do you feel like i i'm doing an i'm doing an okay job and you'll find that a people do not want to brag about themselves this also could have been a function of me working in the south uh and b i think people have a hard time understanding what competence versus like it, joy like they would be Mm -hmm. like what does that mean like i love doing it it's like it doesn't have to mean that you love doing it but that when you look Mm -hmm. down at it you're like oh i did a good job like i i did a i did a good job there whatever Mm -hmm. that is um -hmm. yeah
1: well and there's uh there's a book not called it's called the big leap um and not not to be confused with the great movie the big sick um (laughs) where where um the author talks about people's different zones and like zones of excellence versus zones of genius. And like we operate, oh, we operate in these different zones. And again, it's about being aware. It's really a lot about self awareness of, you know, we don't have to be excellent. We don't have to be genius. We, we, we be great if we could be content. But as, as your dad wisely said, you know, it's where in your areas of life do you find, which I do think joy is important, but we can determine where to find that joy and need to, I think, go within to say, like, where do we get joy and how do we get more of it while also living the rest of our life with all of its other responsibilities and choices?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely agree.
1: So as you are in in your stage of human uh, experience, what would you say now are like the key things that um, you've touched on them, but like, sort of like, what are, what are the pillars of your health and wellness?
0: Woo. Okay. Keeping it small,
1: keeping it very small, like. small questions yeah, here. Yeah, small yeah, questions. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, I need to feel like I am a good Blank and blank is good wife, good friend, good. It's incredibly important to me that my relationships, I used to play the Sims, that video game, the Sims yep, a lot. Yeah, And in the Sims, you have like, um, you have friendships with people that are like, get assigned a number and that number goes up or down, depending on how often you talk to them, how nice you are to them. I kind of think of my friendships that way. And I would hope none of my friends would be offended <laughs> by hearing that, but it's not that I don't care about them, but that it's that important to me that I, be a good friend and that I participate in what, because it makes me feel good to be a good friend. And I like having people that I can rely on and that can rely on me. That's a big part of my health and wellness. Also recognizing that I have some physical limitations uh, from the condition I have and that sometimes people exhaust me beyond all belief. Mm. And that one thing I've been navigating this past year is what's the level of exhaustion I'm willing to accept because I want I need people in my life, mm-hmm. and setting boundaries of oh, okay, my new thing, and this sounds so small, but when I I've, I'm vaccinated and and uh, like starting to have lunches with friends and things, and when I have lunch with a friend during a work day, setting a timer to be like, okay, my work break, uh, I need to go back to work now. So instead of being like, I can I work from home, so let's hang out for two and a half hours. I can certainly do that. It will exhaust me, and then mm-hmm. I can't work the rest of the day. I'm kind of like it just takes a lot of out of me physically. So balancing my physical health with my emotional health, Mm -hmm. um, is very important to me. Uh, also important to me exercise. I, uh, it's, it's a part of how I get my anxiety out. It's part of how I keep my body healthy. It's part of how I kind of know that my body is strong and, Mm. and, um, that's very important to me. And, uh, work is very important to me. Uh, Every day kind of feeling like i am I am doing something that I feel competent in, whether that's um reading whether that's writing, whether mm-hmm. that's having meetings about things um, and then kind of i would say maybe nature is a part of it i I'm a mm-hmm. big uh i'm a big big fan of taking walks and kind of just like I have to find every bird that I see like every bird that I hear yeah. I have to look and like find that specific bird and I feed birds in my front yard and that brings me I would say animals in general bring me a lot of joy. So animals are a nice. big part of kind of how I keep nice. myself uh healthy and
1: emotionally nice. healthy. That's yeah. a plan there. You have a plan. And I, I, I think that you do have a plan and it's like and and um I just want to go back to it's having that awareness about your um your physical energy and your emotional health and what you need to um, feel like you're anywhere from um, not depleted to um, keep your equilibrium to all the way to experiencing joy and meaning. So, um,
0: and that took me a while to kind of figure out, I think I was very much, my idea was that I needed, I needed to be a good friend and that in doing so, I needed to burn myself out and exhaust yeah. myself and make myself sick uh, sometimes. Yeah. And I have been working on um, acknowledging my limitations and not kind of being like, oh, I have limitations, but being like, oh, I can't hang out for that long. or yeah. Oh, I can't do this this many days in a row. Or, oh, I'm not going to be partying with you guys. Um, and that, that's a journey I'm still on, I'll be honest. Yeah. But yeah. yeah.
1: Cool. Okay. Well, it's time for the Parent Footprint Moment question, which I know you have been anticipating with great enthusiasm.
0: Uh Okay, uh here it is. Okay.
1: Emily, tell us about a time when you had a new awareness about yourself as an individual, as a partner, as a friend, or an awareness about your parents, and that new awareness had a positive impact on your life or those you loved.
0: I, I've been kind of thinking about this question for a bit and trying to figure out, I've had so many moments of this that all of them are like rushing through my brain Mm -hmm. and none of them are are, (laughs) uh, happening. But I think, um, I've had moments, I would say as a child, I often felt very scared. I I, I came from a safe home. I, I just felt scared. I felt anxious and frightened and I felt, uh, alone at times. And I think I thought I was alone and I thought that was shameful and I thought that was not okay. And so I wouldn't talk to anybody about it. Like no, no friends. I'm not, you kind of talked about me being open. That is not a trait that I've always had. That is definitely a newer, uh, a newer trait. And I think I've definitely had experiences in my childhood of seeing other adults in my life, including my parents, um, being frightened and being admitting to feeling like, Oh, I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, I have no idea. Um, and that, that has been, that has been very impactful on my life. Mm. Um, over and over again, I love, absolutely love when people project absolute confidence and then kind of turn to you and go, I don't know what I'm doing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I have no idea what's going on. (laughs) I have
0: no idea what's going on because I think too, and there's some, there's some, uh, gender stuff there. Um, because I have always thought I need to only speak on things I know about. I need to only talk about things that I am very well versed in and I should keep my mouth shut otherwise. And I'm not going to say all men, but some, a lot of the men I've worked with, Mm -hmm. I will see them speaking incredibly confidently, uh, and then I have recently gotten the courage to be like, do you have any idea what you're talking about? And they'll be like, oh, no, absolutely not. I'm just I'm just talking. <laughs> um, and maybe it's not the best trait to learn, but I think kind of realizing that like, oh, OK, I thought everybody knew what they were doing. Yeah. And I was the one that had not figured it out quite yet. And it turns yeah. out that nobody has any idea what they're doing. All yeah. of them are faking it. Yeah. Some of them just better than others. Mm -hmm. Um, because I was so good at kind of reading people's emotional states, I would be like, Hey, this guy's like, seems like really confident. He must be. And then kind of realizing, Oh, people are just really good at hiding when they don't know what they're doing. And that I wish we would kind of normalize that a little bit. And I, I, I kind of strive to be that way as a therapist, uh, to kind of always tell the kids I was working with, Oh, I messed up. Oh, okay. Hold on. I don't always know what I'm saying. Uh, I'm -hmm. trying things out just like you are. I'm figuring things out. But kind of normalizing, admitting when I have no idea what's going
1: on. <laughs> and the relief that comes with that, right? The, this relief. On, on all yeah. ends. And yeah. I think,
0: you know, maybe as a parent, you kind of want to do project to your kid. I got this. I'm okay. Like, you're going to be okay. Everything's fine. Yeah. But then there is also... Everything's fine, but also I don't know. We're gonna just figure this out. (laughs)
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I
0: always, as a therapist, um, as a comedy show runner, and as a writer, I feel like my job is to create the safe. The term "safe space" is like maligned for no reason these days, but Mm -hmm. create a safe space. Like Mm -hmm. you are safe within these. These are the boundaries I have set up. You're safe, but also anything could happen inside.
1: Exactly. So I think that's the balance like it's going to be okay and not sure exactly how it's going to go that's all right, <laughs> that's right. yeah and that's kind of life really that is life and and I and, thought that those yeah. two
0: things were mutually exclusive and I yeah. think I've come to realize now like not at all they're they're that's exactly what I've needed to hear yeah from from anyone is like it, everything's going to be okay and also I'm not sure I'm not sure how we'll figure it out <laughs>
1: I love that. All right, we're gonna we're gonna actually we need to like we're gonna tie this up in a bow with that. Like like it's all gonna be okay, but I'm not exactly sure how this is gonna work out. Like that is <laughs> that's life. Like that no. is life, you guys. Like w- we're gonna get through this together, and uh, which I think together connectiveness um, mm-hmm. is so important. Um, and uh, and Emily, thank you for sharing yourself with oh, us today. Well, thank you for having really me. This was really it. delightful. <laughs> So tell everyone where they can um, find out everything you're doing right now: shows, writing, all of it.
0: Uh, I I mean I'm on I'm not really on social media very often these days. I usually just do photos of puzzles I've done on uh, on Instagram. That's a big part of my life too. I did not mention, but I'm at Emily V. Gordon uh, on the internet, and you can look for me. I've got stuff that I'm working on that. Uh, we'll see uh, little America is a show that I have that uh, is on Apple TV plus, and it is a lovely anthology series that we're doing a second season of now that the world is starting to come back. So that's the awesome. thing I'm, I would love for your listeners to know about.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you, you so thank much. you. All right, everyone that concludes our show today. Subscribe. If you like what you hear, tell a friend, pass on the show. And as always, Remember the guiding question, what footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Strummerman, composed and performed by ProTunes. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. If you are an advertiser interested in advertising on our show, go to midroll.com forward slash ads. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Listen, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.